When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we talk with actors, artists, and creators about their work, career, and current obsession. I'm your host, Patrick Holland, and today my guest is the actor, dancer, and choreographer, Nico Annan, who plays Uncle Clifford in the Stars series, P-Valley. The show is written and created by Pulitzer Prize winner, Katori Hall, and takes place in a fictional Mississippi strip club called The Pink. The show has received widespread critical acclaim and been nominated for a slew of awards, including six NAACP Image Awards and a GLAAD Media Award. Take a listen to part of the trailer for season two of P-Valley. I suggest you follow my lead. I want you to remember how you even got in a position to buy this club. Oh, y'all thought the pink had done her last dance, but this is a whole new day. A whole new pink. We all need a little hell in our lives. Makes you appreciate the lie. I'm a classic. Even classic to be finessed. Ain't no use in being the richest in the graveyard. I'm uh, just starting off as a, as a place of a fan. For people who don't, who aren't familiar with the show or its history, how do you describe P-Valley? Um, I typically describe P-Valley as like a Southern fried drama. And I kind of put it in the context of Cheers. You know, the show Cheers with Ted Danson. I feel like uh, the club that my character, Uncle Clifford, runs, it's, the, it's a strip club called The Pink. You know, I always spell it out for people because it's P-Y-N-K. So, you know, if you didn't have a Southern dialect, it would be pink, you know. But because you're down in Chuckalisa, it's pink. There's a little spice, you know. Um, but I think it's a place where, like, all of these marginalized communities, these people, they come in and out of these doors. And so you get to really know who they are. You know, um, at the beginning of Cheers, I remember when norm comes in the the bar everyone's hollers norm you know <laughs> and so it's kind of like that at valley because you know mercedes she's the og dancer of the club you know you know uncle clifford the proprietor of the club you know diamond who's at the door and bigel who's on the books and sometimes on the door and then sometimes also in the kitchen you know you just get to know who all of these characters are throughout the course of season one. And in season two, you just get to go deeper with them. <laughs> and I love the comparison to Cheers because it would be like saying, oh, Cheers is about people drinking alcohol and you're, you know, and even though like people are drinking beers and stuff, it's not really about that. It's about having all these different people meet at this time. And just continuing with the Cheers thing for one more second, does that mean Uncle Clifford be, would be like the Sam Malone of uh, P-Valley? Who would he be in this Cheers cast? That was the first time I've, I've never actually really thought about it in that context. Um, like, I don't, I, I hesitate, like, is, is she Sam? Because you get to know so much more about 
Uncle Clifford and the club itself during season two and its origins and its roots. And you just get to see how these people have um, ownership in land, ownership, you know, um, financially, emotionally, and culturally, you know, how, how they identify in the world and how they help people understand their identification. Even though we've, we've talked to Katoria Hall who created the show, it's based off one of her plays called Pussy Valley. And in mm-hmm. the play, at, at, uh, you played Uncle Clifford in that. And from what, I, from what Katoria told me, it sounded like the play was really ambitious for what she was trying to do. And it fits so much better as a show because you could explore all the characters and give equal weight. Whereas a play, you have to kind of condense things down. I'm wondering, can you describe maybe what it was like playing Uncle Clifford in the play version of this and what it's like bringing him to screen? Or excuse me, bringing her to screen? Excuse me. Oh, you are excused. I appreciate the the, the correction of self, you know? Um, yeah. I feel like, you know, the show definitely is all about those kinds of um, realizations and conversations, um, depending on what, you can't always go with what people look like, you know, but having the conversation with them of like, how do you identify? I think that that's a, a very empowering conversation. And just that in and of itself brings a lot of, um, a lot of humanity and a lot of uh, empathy into the world. So I'm here for it. The difference for me from the play, you know, theater audiences are very different from television audiences. So, you know, you know, you have people who have subscriptions, series to theaters. Oftentimes they may be senior citizens, um, <laughs> or, you know, or people of a, of a different um, economic background. So this was a world that was so foreign for a lot of them. But I knew that we had something special, Patrick, because they got it. The full production was actually in Minnesota. And so for these people in Midwest America to understand the Southern culture was a whole nother Pandora box that was just opened. Um, I think, in, I always say in theater, you have to project emotionally, vocally, you know, you have to go to the back row, you have to go to the balcony. Here in the TV show, you just really get to sit with the characters. You get to know um, the inside and playing Uncle Clifford. I knew there was an opportunity for people to see the true heartbeat and the life of non-binary people. Oftentimes characters in the LGBT community are the sidekick, they are the punch, the punchline, you know, the joke. And I knew in this world, both in the play and on screen, Uncle Clifford was not that. None of the characters were that. They were full, full people. You know, the play opened with Mercedes upside down on a pole reading National Geographic magazine. <laughs> and it's like, what is this black girl down in the South doing reading while she's on a pole in floss? upside down, I think just those kind of things. So there's quiet revolutions that were in the play, but I think that the quiet revolutions are a little louder in the on-camera version of the show because you get to see it. How has uh, playing Uncle Clifford changed you? How have you changed from the role? Oh, she has definitely made me more, uh, <laughs> no nonsense. Um, I feel like the character has unlocked a lot of, uh, feelings and and I, I even pause and hesitate because it's beautiful to really be able to not be constricted 
the way that society can constrict you in so many different ways, whether that's you embracing your masculinity, your femininity, your emotions or your empowerment. Um, I also just think about the way that you, you embrace yourself as a black person in this country and this world. I think about how I, I embrace myself as a, a thicker guy or a full figured man. Um, and how sometimes there's a lot of fat shaming or, oh, you're too this, you're not enough that, you don't fit this commercial aesthetic that some arbitrary person has created, you know? Um, Uncle Clifford allows me to embrace every single part of me and those whom I see around me. We're talking about humanity and empathy. It's like you in this role are very empathetic. And then Uncle Clifford herself is, uh, there's a, we talk about Sam a lot. I want to get away from cheers, but there is a, there is a little bit of the eye of the hurricane with with her because she one moment can be putting out a fire and next be kind of taking the sparks and kind of keeping them from turning into a fire. All, mm -hmm, all the mm -hmm. stuff going on else in the strip club, and it's just mind boggling to me seeing that. And I imagine because it's a show that takes place in a strip club that there's got to be um, a cred or something that you and the fellow cast have um, because of doing the show. And I'm wondering, has that changed at all for you guys after two seasons of P-Valley? The way that we work together? The way that you work together, the way that um, whether it's uh, a restaurant or a strip club, that there's, there is a, a hierarchy, but there's also a family uh, attitude, especially on P-Valley. And I'm wondering if that's yeah. also... Uh, apparent in the cast and the crew? Yes, um, it's a short answer, um, <laughs> but to expand upon, there definitely, no, because there definitely is, there definitely is. We started this, Patrick, back when we first did the pilot presentation for the show, because the network wanted, um, they ordered what is called a pilot presentation versus a pilot, um, because they wanted to see how could this work. And in that pilot presentation, you know, that was the first time well, we were able to truly explore the Delta Noir aspect and components of what the show looks like, embracing the different tones of melanin skin, embracing moonlight, dark colors, bright, harsh colors in the locker room with the fluorescent lights, the daytime and the night, um, in the South, the weather, the heat, the sweat, the way skin looks in those lights. It's, um, it's very palpable. So, that was definitely a part of the process. And then as a cast and then the crew for the pilot presentation, it's different because we're in floss. There's a lot of nakedness. And when I say that, I'm not talking about just body parts. I'm talking about raw emotion. Um, the song says, down in the valley where the girls get naked. It's not about just a physical nakedness. It is an emotional nakedness and rawness. And it was like, what better place to be naked than in the strip club? So we were able to kind of like bring it down. Let's just bring all of the truth that comes through us without censorship. You use the term Delta Noir, which I am fascinated by. How do you find, how do you define what Delta Noir is? And how do you think P-Valley has taken on that term for itself? I uh, think about Delta Noir in uh, a culmination of all these different classic images that exist in film. Um, so for example, you take the, the femme fatale character, 
She normally, she enters the scene usually with a cigarette, a long extended cigarette situation. There's smoke around her or she's backlit or the hero comes in wearing a white hat like the cowboy and Lone Ranger. You embrace those things with our costume design and our lighting designs and the DP of it. They embrace things of the past and remix it for what it could be in the future because that's what the script does. So many people love the show. Uh, you were named like uh, the Hollywood Reporter's list of best TV performances of 2020. Uh, you were nominated for awards. And when you see reaction like that, um, I know the humble thing to say is we don't do it for the awards, but it's got to be kind of nice. I mean, can you tell me what it was like seeing the reaction, not only the audience had, but seeing critics reaction and how this is making all these different best lists? It was gratifying. It was very much so um, an affirmation that I knew I wasn't crazy. <laughs> there are not a lot of people that always think outside the box. So to have an opportunity to work with someone creatively that has no boundaries, that is not shackled by an idea of what once was, but is open to embrace the possibilities of what could be or um, just, just another world. And what if, if as an actor, you embrace that word as a part of your, well, I, let me say, I embrace that word as a part of my technique. Because I think about what would happen if this were the truth? What would happen if I were in this scenario? If I were this person? And I knew that there was a responsibility that, they, that we had in getting people to digest P-Valley and Uncle Clifford. And in that space, there was love. There was all this love and joy. And in that space, there was conflict. There was, it was all of the things that everyone normally has. What they say people, everyday people have. And I think that's a part of the secret sauce. And if someone outside of the community can see the truth and the authenticity. It's like, oh, you're doing it right. Okay, so we've mentioned, or I've mentioned Katori at least half a dozen times at this point. Um, obviously, you've not only been in P-Valley, you've been in the play, you've been in other plays by her. What is your relationship like and your friendship like with Katori? She is a true collaborator. Um, I could not imagine doing this with another creator because of the length of time that it's been. It, to work on something from 2009 to 2022, I don't have to second guess when she says, oh, you're gonna be flying from the ceiling. I have to say, huh, that doesn't make sense. Well, I don't think my character would da 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 You don't have that because you've been on such a journey. There've been so many different iterations from the different workshops of the play. So, and the character, You've been in so many different scenarios. So many other characters have dropped in and gone out and, oh, we gotta cut this down or, oh, it's not time for this character to show up in this version of the story yet. One of the main critiques of the show was like, oh my God, there's so many characters, but we love all of them. She embraced the full use of the theater and platforms and it was all around. So sometimes people really forgot that they were watching a play and thought that they were truly in a strip club. <laughs> it's nice to be, with a project so long 
and to know so much about it, but to still be surprised, to still discover new things about Uncle Clifford, about other characters, it's really great. Can you share something that surprised you, uh, even if it's uh, for season two? There is a, a, a horror core aspect to this season. And the horror core, it, it's, in the, it's in the music. Um, and it's, a, it's a, a feeling that I feel that a lot of us, regardless of race, class, or status, have felt in this pandemic of like, what is outside? What's outside my doors? What's gonna get me? I can equate that same feeling to racism hmm. that this marginalized group may feel or have felt at different times, living in America, being a black person. Then I take that to the subculture or the sub marginalization of being a sex worker or being non-binary in the LGBT community. So this season, I didn't know how that haunting would affect Uncle Clifford. And in the upcoming episodes, you're gonna see that because it affects everyone in different ways. It's a, it's a way that you get to know much more about the characters and how they think and feel and operate in the world. So the name of our podcast is called I'm So Obsessed. I would like to know, what are you currently obsessed with? Sleep. <laughs> That's actually the first time anyone said that, though you think it would be a bigger answer. I got to ask, why are you obsessed with sleep? And maybe there's more to it than you're just tired. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Patrick, right now I'm so obsessed with sleep because there's so much going on. Um, I'm just getting back from Essence Festival. Um, as you can hear, I may be a little hoarse because I've been talking and I've been on microphones and we've been at parties, you know, and it's just like, ah! Um, so I'm obsessed with sleep for that right now. I'm obsessed with sleep because so many people are talking about the show and like interacting with the fans. You know, I, I came up with this, I don't know why or how, probably because I was home and bored during 2021 uh, or 2020 actually. And I was just like, oh, the pink posse is crazy. <laughs> and I didn't know that it was gonna take off like it has with they, the fans of the show, they call themselves the pink posse. And they are really, really real. And interacting with them on Twitter and social media, just to get context for the show. The way that the, the vitamins show up in, in the show, it's really, I think it's shocking for some people, but it's also so refreshing. We don't dumb down our audience. So I'm, I'm tired because I'm always talking to the people. So I literally have to sometimes like, I'm not posting, I'm not online <laughs> because I need some sleep y'all, I swear, you know. I, I get it, I love it. And also I love that you keep referring to like the vitamins of the show. Um, I do want to say that you, in a, an earlier in your career, you were a dancer and you were a choreographer in residence at Yale School of Drama. I just want—I'm curious, what was that like? Oh, it was—I mean, I'm still a choreographer. I, I choreograph on All American and All American Homecoming, along with my business partner Rhapsody James. For me, dance has always been a part of my life, and because I did not have "quote unquote" the traditional dance body or fit within this dance form, especially when I was younger. It was a different time. Choreography just kind of grew in me and, and, and led to directing and led to 
a different way of telling story. So the way I can embrace that in the role of Uncle Clifford, she's a dancer, you know, and of course she loves dance and that's why she created the strip club, you know. Um, uh, working at Yale was great because that's where I kind of find, hold on a second, clear that up. <laughs> and just to acknowledge, I didn't know idea. You would just come back from Essence Fest otherwise. We'd give you some Ricola or some nice uh, vapor. Like, I know. Uh, we're going to talk about Yale School Drama, but I, I am curious too, because a lot of performers, especially people who have a little background in theater or live performance, have remedies. What's your remedy for like a, a scratchy throat or like when you're, you don't have a voice, so to speak? Hot tea, raw pineapple, cayenne pepper, and honey. Raw pineapple? I've not heard that one. Oh, that's yeah, interesting. It's, it's very heavy in citrus and it helps to burn away any phlegm that's on the vocal folds. Oh man, I used to have a roommate in college who I was, I was in theater for a long time and they would use those, those like lemon concentrates, like little plastic lemons that the concentrated mm -hmm. lemon juice and they would chug that. I was like, that's just gotta be doing more harm than good. <laughs> it's just burning it. Um, but we were talking about uh, uh, your work as a choreographer and the time you spent at, at Yale. I worked with uh, a, a lot of people, uh, primarily Jackson Gay. She's a director, uh, Broadway director, and the Emmy award-winning Alvin Terrell, Terrell McCraney. Nice. You know, um, and during that time and Trip Coleman, you know, there were just so many people that I worked with as they were doing like cabaret shows and discovering their own projects. I kind of de developed and honed a style for myself that's called psychological gesture. So being able to embody physically what the mind or the emotion may be going through and what does that look like and how does that process? So it, it was good because oftentimes you're not working with quote unquote dancers. You're working with actors who know how to use their body, but you are then giving them movement to be able to help elevate the story, to tell the story in a different way. Um, in a musical, when people break out into song, it's not just because it's a beautiful song, it's because the character is feeling something that cannot be expressed in just standard English and communication. So I'm feeling so much that I have to sing it. It's the same thing physically. I am feeling so much, or this movement, uh, this moment is doing so much to me, either in a good, bad way, or however, that I must move to express it. Because to speak it may be too painful, or too, I may explode, or whatever, you know, whatever the imaginary if or given circumstances are. So being able to work at Yale kind of helped fine tune that for me, um, and then bring it to, to life, working in, other forms of theater and on camera and then you know commercial hip-hop and all that stuff speaking of music though megan the stallion not only did a song for the show but she's guest stars in it this season what was it like uh, did you get to work with her did you get to meet her what's she like well i met megan um when we did her music video brandy and i brandy evans who plays mercedes um we met her when we did her music video last year Last year? Yeah, I think it was during the pandemic. But it was last year, or the height of the pandemic. I said, we're still in it. Oh, God. <laughs> but we did the movie video. And um, she did do a song this season. But I say that Megan is not on this season of P-Valley. Hmm. And I say that because she's playing a character, you know. And her character is one that her fans know. You know, it's an alter ego that she has. 
Um, and working with her, whether on her music video or the music for the show, it's been great. Megan represents a part of the culture being from Texas. You know, she's a Southern girl. She has the, 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 the hip hop and the trap music on lock. She has fashion on lock. Um, and she's really, really, really sweet. She's really like sweet and just like, oh, you're like my little sister. <laughs> yeah. And that is such a great tease, by the way. Uh, I'm so excited. Um, I, we like to wrap up with a thing called pick one. I give you a couple choices and you select one. So let's play pick one, Nico. Okay, so pick one, Detroit or New York? Oh, they both are home, but I'm going to say Detroit. Well, I say I grew up in both. I spent more time in New York than I did in Detroit, to be honest, because I was in New York for so long after college. Um, but yeah, I'm going to say Detroit because that, that, that was home where the family was. Okay, next one, pick one, acting, dancing, or choreography? That is extremely hard. You sound like my <laughs> acting and dance teacher in high school. Like, Nico, you can't do both. You can't do it all. You have to just pick one. I was like, <laughs> why? Why? Oh my gosh, fun fact. I saw my dance teacher brought uh, a hearing impaired deaf dance company to my high school and they changed my life because I couldn't understand how are they all on beat? How are they dancing together if they are hearing impaired? And the choreographer told me it's because of the subwoofer that they can feel the music, literally feel the music. And I was like, okay, you know what? Even if I don't have this traditional dance body that this industry is telling me that I'm supposed to have, I need to go and study how to tell a story because I know that dance will always be a part of my life and my career. So uh, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say acting because in acting you can embrace it all. I would say if there is a connection and I, I think that there is, that's the right answer actually. Um, yeah. <laughs> Cause you said it. Because you get, to, you get to create it with the choreography and you get to live through it with the dance and and then speak it with the words. So it's all, it, it encompasses all the things. Oh, you said so well. That's a great question, Patrick. That's a great <laughs> freaking question, bro. I'm gonna end the interview here. We're not gonna do any more, no, I'm kidding. I got one more <laughs> and, I'm, and uh, one of my favorite parts of the show are the, is the dialogue. I mean, there's so many great things, the dancing, the set, the styles, the characters, the, the stories, the, uh, the reveals, but one of the best parts is definitely the dialogue. And you have some of the best lines. So pick one. Don't tell me it's cornbread when I smell them biscuits burning. Or, but legends ain't born. They built, forged by time and pressure like diamonds. Or, girl, this coffin shape makes my fingers look fat. Pick one. Diamonds are forged by time and pressure because that's each and every one of us. That diamond is, is, is each and every one of us, literally. Um, I just think about that moment when talking about that in episode five, or talking about Keyshawn, who's played by Shannon Thornton brilliantly. Um, sometimes you think that the world is against you and that there's nothing that you can do and it's just woe is me. But the, the show 
is meant to be a reflection for us all because the pole itself is a metaphor. It's a metaphor for life. Katori says sometimes rising feels like falling and falling feels like rising. You may fall, but what if you fly? Man, is if I went to the set, would this be kind of like the conversations you guys are literally having? Because I'm like, there's like every other thing has been profound. It's amazing. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's weird because you get that, you get all of that, as well as the the freedom and, and like our, our camera crew, they are dancing with us. They are moving, you know, before I shoot any scene, I literally dance with my camera operator. <laughs> like I just do. dance you're not you're not like rehearsing like a choreo move you're just dancing as the, uh, as expressing and having an energy yeah. that's what you mean right two people two people just <laughs> exchanging because what are you doing are you feeling like you are leading or am i leading you know what emotional context that i as the character am in, and i'm seeing the, because the cinematography is craftsmanship on this show it's really good, yeah. So, um, so you have to be able to bring everybody in on it. And I found by doing that, a lot of people on the crew started to understand more of their role and the importance of being the props master, the importance of being the costumer. It's really, really a family effort for sure. It's funny, we started this conversation, you compared the show to Cheers, and yet I, there is a side of Cheers, I don't think that was ever that profound. <laughs> Respectfully, I like Cheers. Cheers is a great show, uh, whatever, but- uh, I mean, listen, when Janet Jackson tells you that she's watching the show, you're like, oh my goodness. That's, that's uh, how, did you hear that from her or did someone tell you that she watched the show? She told me that in my left ear. Oh. And she, she told me that in my left ear as she hugged me after I saw her concert. She was performing, today is, what? when was she performing? Saturday? Yeah, it was Saturday night she was performing. And I went backstage and actually Rhapsody James, my business choreographer partner, we saw two of our dancers from Motivating Excellence are her backup dancers, Raphael Thomas and Denzel. And so to see them, it was just like the meeting of all of your worlds. So just keep living, keep living, keep living, and things will come together. And I was like, Janet Jackson, you're whispering in my ear. Stop, no! Oh my goodness, that's amazing. I'm just really happy that people across the board are taking the time to, to digest this show um, and get to know these people. I keep hearing how it's changing the way people think in real life. They are entertained when they watch it on TV, but it's changing how people think and move in real life. That to me is the award. And I can't think of a better way to end this than, than with that. Thank you so much. It's been such a delight getting to talk with you. You too, thank you so much for your time. I want to thank Nico for chatting with me, and I want to thank you for listening. You can watch the first two seasons of P-Valley on Stars. I'm So Obsessed was created by our executive producer, Danielle Ramirez. Our editor and lead producer is Sophia Fox Sowell, and this episode was produced by Rebecca Fleener. Please take a moment and subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. Follow the show on Twitter at I'm So Obsessed Pod. And until next time, take care.